by the way, I was just thinking about this in worship. We have had, <laughs> is it four venues in six weeks? Is it something like that? Five weeks, four venues in four different rooms in five weeks. Wow. Well done, you guys. You know, you really could have made a fuss and you could have um, just been like moany, but you've been amazing. So just thanks for just not whinging and just getting on and um, all the rest of it. So we are starting. I'm dead excited about this. <laughs> I do tend to get a bit excited anyway, but we're starting a new teaching series today. It's called Identity Parade because we feel that God wants us to look at some of the things that we think and do and just put them on display. So many of us have a, like an inaccurate view of ourselves. We think, some of us might think too highly of ourselves. Some of us might feel too lowly of ourselves. And we don't really know who we're supposed to be. So our hope is in this series, we just move towards who God says we are. He wants us to just walk in freedom, right? He just wants us to walk lightly. So um, that's what we're aiming for with this series. Most people try to control some area of their lives. There are some areas that we're control freaks in, and there's other areas that we're just not really that bothered about. For example, some of you may be super controlling at work. Everything's got to be just the way you want it, but like at home, you're pretty laid back. You may be sitting next to someone who's exactly the opposite. At home, it's like, do it this way or die. <laughs> but at work, they're pretty relaxed. It could be some of you, you're very much in control of your money and your finances. You need to know where every single penny goes, but when it comes to relationships or your kids, you're not even, you know, you don't really try to influence them that much at all. So you're controlling in some areas and not in others. Here's a question. What's it like in your kitchen? So like in our family, we're pretty laid back about what goes where and blah, blah, blah. But then you go around to someone else's house and they have a system. They just have like a system that you don't mess with. You know, like a dishwasher. I tried to do that once. I tried to pack somebody else's dishwasher and <laughs> they unpacked it and <laughs> did it all over again. Like, okay, I'm not messing with that ever again. Or what about the remote control? Is there one person in the house who it seems is ordained by God to handle the remote control? It's not me. It's not me in my house. And if we look at our lives, we find we typically try to control two broad categories of things. Here we go. We try to control people or we try to control circumstances or both. So let's look at trying to control people. Let me ask you this question. Is there someone in your life where there's one or two things about them that you just don't like? Is there? Maybe a teammate, a friend, a spouse, a child. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that God loves people and God has a wonderful plan for their lives. And yet sometimes, probably not you, but sometimes your behavior slips from loving people into controlling people. We don't even realize we're doing it. And it changes from God loves people and God has a wonderful plan for their lives to actually, 
I love people and I actually have a wonderful plan for your life. We think I want to help them see what I see and get them to do what I want them to do. And so without knowing it, we kind of like try to change the behavior of others around us because we think we know best. We also try to control circumstances. You may want to be just, you just want things to be right. Just want things to be right. It may be that you want to be the best at work or uni, your house to be perfect, or here's one, your kids to be the perfect representation of you in every single way. We control diaries and diaries of the people that we love. We just want to control sometimes what people think of us. Let's look at Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Let's look at it in the NIV version of the Bible. Here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So when we're in control, it maybe would read like this. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. And maybe some of your ways acknowledge God and you will make your path straight. Some of you are like, yeah, that's actually quite a good plan. But what's sobering is the more we actually try to control something, the more we fear losing control. And the more we fear losing control, the more we try to keep control. And then suddenly you're in this cycle of fear. The challenge is control is very difficult to see in the mirror. It's very hard for us to see our own need for control because we legitimately think we know what's best. And we don't realize that we're gradually moving God more and more out of our decision-making, what he says is best for us because we think we know what's best. So we end up even making decisions about jobs, money, relationships, whatever, and we haven't even asked him what he thinks. So what I want to do today is um, give you an example of control that's just gone badly. Uh, this is a story from the Old Testament about a couple originally named Abram and Sarai. They got their names changed later to Abraham and Sarah. They had a tremendous problem with wanting to control the outcomes. You see, Abraham, Abram and Sarai had no children and they longed for children. Abram longed also for an heir. So... Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15, if you've got a phone or a Bible with you, starting at verse 2. Abram's praying and he's talking to God. This is what he says. Abram said, God, Master, what use are your gifts as long as I am childless? And Eliza, son of Damascus, is going to inherit everything. Abram continued, see, you've given me no children and now a mere house servant is going to get it all. Then God's message came. Don't worry. He won't be your heir. A son from your body will be your heir. And then he took him outside and he said, look at the sky. Count the stars. Can you do it? Count your descendants. You are going to have a big family, Abraham. The NIV translation said, God said to them, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be the parents of many nations. 
You're going to have so many descendants. It's going to be more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. And God promised this childless couple who for years and years and years were unable to conceive, God says, you're going to give birth and there's going to be many nations before you. Wow. But (laughs) when God didn't immediately do what God promised to do, Abraham and Sarah did what many of us do, and they tried to take control of their own situation and their own destiny. Let's see what happens next. Skip forward to the next chapter, chapter 16 in Genesis. Genesis 16, 1 to 2. Sarai, Abraham's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. So in other words, Sarah's saying, I know God promised, but it's just not happening. It's just not happening. Hmm. She's frustrated, getting impatient because it's not happening in her timing, so she decides to take control. This is what she does. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. This is carrying on from verse 2. God has not seen fit to let me have a child. So this is what she says to Hagar. Sleep with my, this is what she said to Abram. Sorry. Sleep with my maid and maybe I can get a family from her. Can you imagine, <laughs> just for a minute, <laughs> can you imagine that happening? Hit like, Ben, sorry, off you go then. I, it just still makes me go, eh? But anyways, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. She must have been like desperate to have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. Verse three, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid Hagar and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. Abram had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar and she got pregnant. I mean, that in itself is like a whole, <laughs> it's like a what? Did that, actually, did that even happen? Like, why did you do that? Who said that was a good idea? But she was, you can, you can tell she just wanted to take control. So they decided to move God to the side and it is impossible to actually describe all the chaos, what that decision actually did. But for centuries to come, you can, you can read about what actually happened. So Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And sometime later, God did bless Abraham and Sarah with a son named Isaac. And then, oh my goodness, you can imagine, there's more tension between Hagar and Sarai and Ishmael and Isaac. And centuries later, the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Ishmael, and the descendants of Isaac, the Palestinians and the Jews, they are fighting each other today. Now, chances are you're sitting there going, okay, I understand that, Kate, that's fine, but I'm never going to sleep with my maid called <laughs> Hagar. It's just not going to happen. I don't even have a maid servant. So let's bring it home to us. And this is where it gets a bit uncomfortable because suddenly it becomes about us. And I'd be surprised if there isn't one of these situations that applies to you. Here it goes. So number one, we don't have a maidservant, but we do have money. Maybe you want to buy something really badly and you can't afford it. So what do you do? You find some way to borrow and you justify it maybe making a bad long-term decision for a short-term benefit because you're going to make it happen one way or the other. 
Or if you're a follower of Jesus and you know that God wants you to be generous, to give financially to the life of the church, you know that, but you rationalize it and you say, oh, well, I'll do that once I'm out of debt. Or I'm just not going to do that at all. And you take control of something that actually belongs to God. You may be now thinking, oh, I'm so glad I came this morning, Kate. This is great. (laughs) Number two, we don't have a maidservant, but we do have relationships. You want something, somebody special in your life. You, wanna, you want someone who you can settle down with, get married evening, even. And right now, you just can't find someone that you know is the best person for you. So you say, it's okay, I'll try to make this work. It's not happening in the timing that I want it to happen in. So you take control, you compromise. And you settle for less than the best that God's got for you. What about this one? We don't have a maidservant, but we do have children. Those of you that don't have children are now going, oh, that's good. I'm out of this one. Oh, my goodness. Children, they are a lesson in not having control. They have their own thing going on. They go to sleep when they want to sleep. They do what they like. They get up. When they want to get up, they don't want the coats on when they want the coats on and then as soon as you get them into a sort of routine the teenage years kick in and then they have their own thoughts and their own ideas and their own opinions which you can't control either Um, this is Joseph when he was two Uh, we were on holiday and he's having a strop can you tell look at that face and it was cold and um, I wanted him to put a coat on Joseph hated wearing coats, still does. And so I'm like, just put your coat on. Just, it's cold, put your coat on. And then literally, lo and behold, two minutes later, the sun comes out and it's boiling. So annoying. And it definitely wasn't coat weather anymore. But I had, we'd fought over this coat. So you can imagine, I'm like, I can't back down because I've just made my point. I'm in control. Anyway, I decided that he could leave it on for five minutes just to prove my point. Like, no, I've won this. I'm just in control. You put your coat on, and then this is the five minutes. He could barely move his arms. He was like the Michelin man, all wrapped up, and wasn't happy. Just so that I could be in control. I've made the decision. What's the thing that you want to control? Do you know? Maybe, maybe it's your work colleagues. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's what people think about you. Just take a moment and think, what am I trying to control? And when you identify this in your life, I want you to look at three quick questions that you can ask yourself over and over and over again that I really believe can help you move towards trusting it to God. The first one, figure out what it is that I love to control or want to control. Number one, is it really worth it? One time when Jesus was visiting the house of two sisters called Martha and Mary, you may know the story. Martha's trying to control something that didn't really matter that much. She wants everything in the house to be perfect. She's freaking out that it's not, you know, tidy and everything. 
And she's saying, Jesus, will you just get Mary to help me out here? This is just not acceptable. And Jesus looks on and he goes, Martha, Luke 10, verse 41, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about something that's not worth it. Mary's doing something better. Don't take that away from her. So when you find yourself, is it really worth it? I don't think it was actually worth it for me making a fuss about that coat. Should have just taken the thing off. <laughs> is it really worth it? Number two, is it mine to control? Sometimes I think, yes, it is yours to control. There's something for you to do about it. And then other times the answer is no. But we need to remember that surrendering control isn't the same as relinquishing responsibility. Like, they're different things. For example, if you're in trouble financially, you, you can cut back on your spending. You can do something about it. You can learn to budget. You can get help. You can cut up your credit cards. You, that's like the responsibility. Or if your marriage is struggling, can you do something about it? Yes, absolutely. You can talk to someone. You can pray, hopefully, together as a couple. You can have others you trust speak into your life. You can do something about it. Or if you're a guy and hasn't been on a date for seven years, do you trust God with it? Yes, absolutely. But you can take a shower, brush your teeth, and maybe sell your Xbox at the same time and get out. You can do something about it. <laughs> Huge generalization. There are some things, though, that you just can't control. And so when you ask yourself, is it mine to control? Hmm. There are some things that you're going to have to say, no, it's not for me. For example, here's a question. And you don't need to answer out loud. How many of us are super confident at praying for a sick person to be healed? Like, boom, there and then. I would say probably not many of us. But here's a part B to that question. If you knew that sick people would get instantly healed every time you prayed for them, would that change your answer? I think it would. I think most, mo mo way more of us would just, if we knew that they were going to get healed straight away, we'd, we'd pray for them. Because we knew the outcome was determined. But we can't. It's out of our control. We're not the ones that do the healing. That's God's job. But because we want to know the outcome before we pray, it stops us from doing the stuff God calls us to do. So we have to be okay with not being in control, surrendering the outcomes to God, praying for people whether they're healed or not, because it's up to him what the outcome is. That's his to control. Let's look at James 4, 4 verse 13 and 14. He says, um, there's some things in which we have no control over whatsoever. Listen to this. You who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He says, you think you can iron everything out? You can plan it all out. You just know exactly what's going to happen. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You can't control tomorrow. How do you think you can control even a year from now? 
is it worth my concern? Is it worth it? Is it mine to control? Or is it, number three, for God alone? So Philippians. Paul told the Philippians something very powerful in um, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says this. Don't be anxious. That's my addition about what? Don't be anxious about anything. How many of you are anxious about something? He goes on, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your requests to God. You give it to God. You trust it to God. You lay down your concern to God. You surrender it to God. And when you do it, it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hmm. So when you give it to God, the thing that you're trying to control, the outcome which you just don't know, you give it to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hmm. When we get anxious... Just give it to God and his peace comes. Some things are for God alone. You can't control the outcome of your PhD, your exam results, when you live, when you die. Things that have happened to you in the past, but you can pray, you can forgive, you can make wise decisions. You can work hard, but you cannot control the future of your children you can't control the future of the people you love. But you can choose to trust the one who can. The one who guards and watches over you and who always has. So just to end, I just want to tell you this quick story. One of my favorite authors, Henri Nguyen, you might have heard of him. He recalls a time that happened in his life and uh, this has a profound effect on him. It's about two trapeze artists. This is what he says. The Flying Rodleys are trapeze artists who perform in the German circus. When the circus came to Freiburg two years ago, my friends Franz and Rennie invited me and my father to see the show. He says, I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the Rodleys move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. The next day, I returned to the circus to see them again and introduce them, myself to them as one of their greatest fans. They invited me to attend their practice sessions, gave me free tickets, asked me to dinner, and suggested I travel with them for a week in the near future. I did, and we became good friends. One day, I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troupe, in his caravan talking about this, about flying. He said... As a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think I'm the star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work, I asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait. 
wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing? I said surprised. Nothing, Rodley repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is to catch the grabber, catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grabbed Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine. And that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. And I just thought that was such a great story of how we, when we're in control, he's totally out of control. He's just got to hope that God's going to catch him in our chat about control. It's so like God. All we have to do is just hold out our arms and ask him, and he's going to catch us. So is it worth it? Is it mine to control? Or is it for God alone? Why don't we stand? Try and get warm at the same time. By the way, I was just thinking about this in worship. We have had, is it four venues in six weeks? Is it something like that? Five weeks, four venues in four different rooms in five weeks. Wow. Well done, you guys. You know, you really could have made a fuss and you could have... um, just been like moany but you've been amazing so just thanks for just not whinging and just getting on and um all the rest of it so we are starting i'm dead excited about this (laughs) i do tend to get a bit excited anyway but we're starting a new teaching series today it's called identity parade because we feel that god wants us to look at some of the things that we think and do and just put them on display So many of us have a, like an inaccurate view of ourselves. We think, some of us might think too highly of ourselves. Some of us might feel too lowly of ourselves. And we don't really know who we're supposed to be. So our hope is in this series, we just move towards who God says we are. He wants us to just walk in freedom, right? He just wants us to walk lightly. So um, that's what we're aiming for with this series. Most people try to control some area of their lives. There are some areas that we're control freaks in, and there's other areas that we're just not really that bothered about. For example, some of you may be super controlling at work. Everything's got to be just the way you want it, but like at home, you're pretty laid back. You may be sitting next to someone who's exactly the opposite. At home, it's like, do it this way or die. (laughs) But at work, they're pretty relaxed. It could be some of you, you're very much in control of your money and your finances. You need to know where every single penny goes, but when it comes to relationships or your kids, you're not even, you know, you don't really try to influence them that much at all. So you're controlling in some areas and not in others. Here's a question. What's it like in your kitchen? So like in our family, we're pretty laid back about what goes where and blah, blah, blah. But then you go around to someone else's house and they have a system. They just have like a system that you don't mess with. You know, like a dishwasher. I tried to do that once. I tried to 
pack somebody else's dishwasher and <laughs> they unpacked it and <laughs> did it all over again. I'm like, okay, I'm not messing with that ever again. Or what about the remote control? Is there one person in the house who it seems is ordained by God to handle the remote control? It's not me. It's not me in my house. And if we look at our lives, we find we typically try to control two broad categories of things. Here we go. We try to control people or we try to control circumstances or both. So let's look at trying to control people. Let me ask you this question. Is there someone in your life where there's one or two things about them that you just don't like? Is there? Maybe a teammate, a friend, a spouse, a child. And... As followers of Jesus, we believe that God loves people and God has a wonderful plan for their lives. And yet sometimes, probably not you, but sometimes your behavior slips from loving people into controlling people. We don't even realize we're doing it. And it changes from God loves people and God has a wonderful plan for their lives to actually, I love people and I actually have a wonderful plan for your life. We think, I want to help them see what I see and get them to do what I want them to do. And so without knowing it, we kind of like try to change the behavior of others around us because we think we know best. We also try to control circumstances. You may want to be just, you just want things to be right. Just want things to be right. It may be that you want to be the best at work or uni your house to be perfect, or here's one, your kids to be the perfect representation of you in every single way. We control diaries and diaries of the people that we love. We just want to control sometimes what people think of us. Let's look at Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Let's look at it in the NIV version of the Bible. Here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So when we're in control, it maybe would read like this. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding. In maybe some of your ways, acknowledge God and you will make your path straight. Some of you are like, yeah, that's actually quite a good plan. But what's sobering is the more we actually try to control something, the more we fear losing control. And the more we fear losing control, the more we try to keep control. And then suddenly you're in this cycle of fear. The challenge is control is very difficult to see in the mirror. It's very hard for us to see our own need for control because we legitimately think we know what's best. And we don't realize that we're gradually moving God more and more out of our decision making. What he says is best for us because we think we know what's best. So we end up even making decisions about jobs, money, relationships, whatever. And we haven't even asked him what he thinks. So what I want to do today is um, give you an example of control that's just gone badly. Uh, This is a story from the Old Testament about a couple originally named Abram and Sarai. They got their names changed later to Abraham and Sarah. They had a tremendous problem with wanting to control the outcomes. Uh, 
You see, Abraham, Abraham and Sarai had no children and they longed for children. Abraham longed also for an heir. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 15 if you've got a phone or a Bible with you. Starting at verse 2. Abraham's praying and he's talking to God. This is what he says. Abraham said, God, master, what use are your gifts as long as I am childless? And Eliza, son of Damascus, is going to inherit everything. Abraham continued, see, you've given me no children and now a mere house servant is going to get it all. Then God's message came, don't worry, he won't be your heir. A son from your body will be your heir. And then he took him outside and he said, look at the sky, count the stars. Can you do it? Count your descendants. You are going to have a big family, Abraham. The NIV translation said, God said to them, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be the parents of many nations. You're going to have so many descendants. It's going to be more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. And God promised this childless couple who for years and years and years were unable to conceive, God says, you're going to give birth and there's going to be many nations before you. Wow. But <laughs> when God didn't immediately do what God promised to do, Abraham and Sarah did what many of us do, and they tried to take control of their own situation and their own destiny. Let's see what happens next. Skip forward to the next chapter, chapter 16 in Genesis. Genesis 16, 1 to 2. Sarai, Abraham's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. So in other words, Sarah's saying, I know God promised, but it's just not happening. It's just not happening. Hmm. She's frustrated, getting impatient because it's not happening in her timing, so she decides to take control. This is what she does. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. This is carrying on from verse 2. God has not seen fit to let me have a child. So this is what she says to Hagar. Sleep with my, this is what she said to Abram. Sorry. Sleep with my maid and maybe I can get a family from her. Can you imagine? <laughs> Just for a minute. <laughs> can you imagine that happening? Like, Ben, sorry. Off you go then. I, it just still makes me go, eh? But anyways, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. She must have been like desperate to have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. Verse 3. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid Hagar and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. Abraham had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar and she got pregnant. I mean, that in itself is like a whole, <laughs> it's like a what? Did that, actually, did that even happen? Like, why did you do that? Who said that was a good idea? But she was, you can, you can tell she just wanted to take control. So they decided to move God to the side. And it is impossible to actually describe all the chaos. What that decision actually did. But for centuries to come, you can, you can read about what actually happened. So Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And sometime later, God did bless Abraham and Sarah with a son named Isaac. And then 
oh my goodness, you can imagine, there's more tension between Hagar and Sarai and Ishmael and Isaac. And centuries later, the descendants of Israel, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac, the Palestinians and the Jews, they are fighting each other today. Now, chances are you're sitting there going, okay, I understand that, Kate, that's fine. But I'm never going to sleep with my maid called <laughs> Hagar. It's just not going to happen. I don't even have a maidservant. So let's bring it home to us. And this is where it gets a bit uncomfortable because suddenly it becomes about us. And I'd be surprised if there isn't one of these situations that applies to you. Here it goes. So number one, we don't have a maidservant, but we do have money. Maybe you want to buy something really badly and you can't afford it. So what do you do? You find some way to borrow and you justify it. Maybe making a bad long-term decision for a short-term benefit because you're going to make it happen one way or the other. Or if you're a follower of Jesus and you know that God wants you to be generous, to give financially to the life of the church, you know that, but you rationalize it and you say, oh, well, I'll do that once I'm out of debt. Or I'm just not going to do that at all. And you take control of something that actually belongs to God. You may be now thinking, oh, I'm so glad I came this morning, Kate. This is great. <laughs> Number two, we don't have a maidservant, but we do have relationships. You want something, somebody special in your life. You, wanna, you want someone who you can settle down with, get married evening, even. And right now, you just can't find someone that you know is the best person for you. So you say, it's okay, I'll try to make this work. It's not happening in the timing that I want it to happen in. So you take control, you compromise, and you settle for less than the best that God's got for you. What about this one? We don't have a maidservant, but we do have children. Those of you that don't have children are now going, oh, that's good, I'm out of this one. Oh my goodness, children, they are a lesson in not having control. They have their own thing going on. They go to sleep when they want to sleep. They do what they like. They get up when they want to get up. They don't want the coats on when they want the coats on. And then as soon as you get them into a sort of routine, the teenage years kick in and then they have their own thoughts and their own ideas and their own opinions, which you can't control either. Um, this is Joseph when he was two. Uh, we were on holiday, and he's having a strop, can you tell? Look at that face. And it was cold, and um, I wanted him to put a coat on. Joseph hated wearing coats, still does. And so I'm like, just put your coat on. Just, It's cold, put your coat on. And then literally, lo and behold, two minutes later, the sun comes out and it's boiling. So annoying. And it definitely wasn't coat weather anymore. But I had, we'd fought over this coat. So you can imagine, I'm like, I can't back down because I've just made my point. I'm in control. Anyway, I decided that he could leave it on for five minutes just to prove my point. Like, no, I've won this. I'm just in control. You put your coat on. And then this is the five minutes. He could barely move his arms. He was like the Michelin man, all wrapped up and wasn't happy just so that I could be in control. I 
made the decision. What's the thing that you want to control? Do you know? Maybe, maybe it's your work colleagues. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's what people think about you. Just take a moment, think, what am I trying to control? And when you identify this in your life, I want you to look at three quick questions that you can ask yourself over and over and over again that I really believe can help you move towards trusting it to God. The first one, figure out what it is that I love to control or want to control. Number one, is it really worth it? One time when Jesus was visiting the house of two sisters called Martha and Mary, you may know the story, Martha's trying to control something that didn't really matter that much. She wants everything in the house to be perfect. She's freaking out that it's not, you know, tidy and everything. And she's saying, Jesus, will you just get Mary to help me out here? This is just not acceptable. And Jesus looks on and he goes, Martha, Luke 10 verse 41, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about something that's not worth it. Mary's doing something better. Don't take that away from her. So when you find yourself, is it really worth it? I don't think it was actually worth it for me making a fuss about that coat. Should have just taken the thing off. Is it really worth it? Number two, is it mine to control? Sometimes I think, yes, it is yours to control. There's something for you to do about it. And then other times the answer is no. But we need to remember that Surrendering control isn't the same as relinquishing responsibility. Like, they're different things. For example, if you're in trouble financially, you, you can cut back on your spending. You can do something about it. You can learn to budget. You can get help. You can cut up your credit cards. You, that's like the responsibility. Or if your marriage is struggling, can you do something about it? Yes, absolutely. You can talk to someone. You can pray, hopefully, together as a couple. You can have others you trust speak into your life. You can do something about it. Or if you're a guy and hasn't been on a date for seven years, do you trust God with it? Yes, absolutely. But you can take a shower, brush your teeth, and maybe sell your Xbox at the same time and get out. You can do something about it. Huge generalization. There are some things, though, that you just can't control. And so when you ask yourself, is it mine to control? Hmm. There are some things that you're going to have to say, no, it's not for me. For example, here's a question. And you don't need to answer out loud. How many of us are super confident at praying for a sick person to be healed? Like, boom, there and then. I would say probably not many of us. But here's a part B to that question. If you knew that sick people would get instantly healed every time you prayed for them, would that change your answer? I think it would. I think most, mo mo way more of us would just, if we knew that they were going to get healed straight away, we'd, we'd pray for them. 
because we knew the outcome was determined. But we can't. It's out of our control. We're not the ones that do the healing. That's God's job. But because we want to know the outcome before we pray, it stops us from doing the stuff God calls us to do. So we have to be okay with not being in control, surrendering the outcomes to God, praying for people whether they're healed or not, because it's up to him what the outcome is. That's his to control. Let's look at James 4, verse 13 and 14. He says, um, there's some things in which we have no control over whatsoever. Listen to this. You who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He says, you think you can iron everything out? You can plan it all out? You just know exactly what's going to happen. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You can't control tomorrow. How do you think you can control even a year from now? Is it worth my concern? Is it worth it? Is it mine to control or is it number three for God alone? So Philippians, Paul told the Philippians something very powerful in um, chapter four, verses six and seven. He says this, don't be anxious. That's my addition about what? Don't be anxious about anything. How many of you are anxious about something? He goes on, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your requests to God. You give it to God. You trust it to God. You lay down your concern to God. You surrender it to God. And when you do it, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hmm. So when you give it to God, the thing that you're trying to control, the outcome which you just don't know, you give it to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hmm. When we get anxious, just give it to God and his peace comes. Some things are for God alone. You can't control the outcome of your PhD, your exam results, when you live, when you die, things that have happened to you in the past, but you can pray, you can forgive, you can make wise decisions, you can work hard, but you cannot control the future of your children. You can't control the future of the people you love, but you can choose to trust the one who can, the one who guards and watches over you, and who always has. So just to end, I just want to tell you this quick story. One of my favorite authors, Henri Nguyen, you might have heard of him. He recalls a time that happened in his life and uh, this has a profound effect on him. It's about two trapeze artists. This is what he says. The Flying Rodleys are trapeze artists who perform in the German circus. When the circus came to Freiburg two years ago, my friends Franz and Rennie invited me and my father to see the show. He says, I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the Rodleys move through the air, flying 
and catching as elegant dancers. The next day, I returned to the circus to see them again and introduce them myself to them as one of their greatest fans. They invited me to attend their practice sessions, gave me free tickets, asked me to dinner, and suggested I travel with them for a week in the near future. I did, and we became good friends. One day, I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troupe, in his caravan talking about this, about flying. He said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think I'm the star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work, I asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait. Wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing? I said, surprised. Nothing, Rodley repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is to catch the grabber, catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grabbed Joe's wrists, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. And I just thought that was such a great story of how we, when we're in control, he's totally out of control. He's just got to hope that God's going to catch him in our chat about control. It's so like God. All we have to do is just hold out our arms and ask him and he's going to catch us. So is it worth it? Is it mine to control? Or is it for God alone? Why don't we stand? Try and get warm at the same time.